Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Good evening, children of the night. This week, we're pausing our journey in Athens, Ohio, for our fiction. The last time I was in Athens County was for the Ohio Pawpaw Festival at Lake Snowden. The official state fruit is the tomato, but the official state native fruit is the pawpaw. They're interesting, and if you ever have the opportunity to try one, I'd recommend it. But the city of Athens itself will frequently turn up on lists of the most haunted cities in the country, if not the world, with some regularity. If you happen to thumb through Chris Woodyard's Haunted Ohio series, which is seven volumes, you'll find mention of some sort of unusual story about Athens in every one. For example, the Moonville Tunnel, which it is said that on some lonely nights, one can see the swinging lantern of the ghost of a railway man. Or Mount Nebo, where a group of spiritualists led by a man named Jonathan Coons held seances until locals, exhausted by the spiritual occurrences, persecuted him and his family out of town. Ohio University's own Wilson Hall, which has appeared on Fox's show Scariest Places on Earth about 13 years ago, for its collection of strange stories. I do have to interject to the story that Ohio University's students tell each other that Wilson Hall sits in the middle of five cemeteries, all forming a nearly perfect pentagram. is true. However, when I asked a friend of mine who was more familiar with the area about it, he remarked that it'd be easy to draw out any shape you wanted using cemeteries in the county because it has, by last count, 153 of them. And then, the ridges. Standing, or some may say looming over the city below, is one of the remaining Kirkbride Plan buildings, now called the Ridges, but was established as the Athens Lunatic Asylum in 1874. At its peak, the facility was treating approximately 1,800 patients. Included in the show notes is a link to a picture of an alligator that was raised in the asylum's fountain. Ohio University students will regularly tell underclassmen that when the asylum closed its doors, it simply turned the mentally deranged out into the streets of Athens without a bit of ceremony to do what they will. Also, 
Beyond the myriad ghost stories that would come out of any asylum is the story of Marge. This one certainly has some truth to it. When the top floors of the building is an outline of a woman who became lost or trapped on that floor, laid down and passed on to the next life, the cement under where her body came to rest retains the marks of where she laid before being discovered quite some time later. So, children of the night, welcome to Athens, Ohio. How about a story? Tonight's fiction comes to us from Richard Farron Barber, who was born in Nottingham in July 1970. After studying in London, he returned to the East Midlands. He lives with his wife and son and works as a development services manager for a local university. He has written over 200 short stories and has short stories published in Alt Dead, Alt Zombies, Blood Oranges, The Horror Zine, Murky Depths, Midnight Echo, Midnight Street, Morpheus Tales, MT Urban Horror Special, Night Terrors 2, The House of Horror, Trembles, Terror Scribes, and Broadcast on BBC Radio Derby and Erwash Sound. During 2010-2011, Richard was sponsored by Writing East Midlands to undertake a mentoring scheme in which he was supported in the development of his novel, Bloody Bones, which he now is shamelessly hawking amongst agents and publishers. His website can be found here, www.richardfarrenbarber.co.uk. Link will be in the show notes. And now, Richard Barber's Murden's Hollow. The girl screamed even before she stepped into the pond. Her high keenin flapped across the valley. I tried to look over the tree line at a bunch of stars, but each time I was drawn back down to watch her. I knew the girl. We'd been in the same classes for math and English, and a few other subjects, but that was three years ago. Sharon... Siobhan, something like that. She had never raised her voice in class, seemed embarrassed if Mr. Jones even asked her a question, and now she was screaming, fit to burst. What do you reckon? Jimmy sat down beside me, halfway up the embankment that circled Murden's pond. Up here, I felt like I was separated from what was happening in the pond. I knew that wasn't true. I had my small stone clasped tightly in my hand. Do you think we'll all be like that? Jimmy asked. I shrugged. She's not even got her feet wet, Jimmy said. Leave her alone. Shireen, that was her name. She smiled at me once, in physics. Have you seen her? Jimmy asked. I nodded, looked over the pond to where Francis was sitting with Kate and Jane. What number you got? Jimmy gabbered when he got nervous. We'd be walking into the exam hall, and Jimmy's voice would be chundering on about how he hadn't revised enough, or he'd never understood the significance of the corn laws anyway, until whichever teacher in charge would shout for everyone to shut up, and that includes you, Jimmy McGovern. I opened my hand, revealed the number 13 on my pebble. Ouch, Jimmy said. Then he showed me his, 24. I tried to do a quick head count, but it was hard to see in the dusk, and anyway, it was impossible to concentrate with Shireen screaming. She was first. To be fair... I think I'd have been the same if it had been me. The water lapped around her legs, seemed to cut her off at the knees. The screaming stopped. She just cried now, shuffling forwards through the pond with her chin on her chest and her arms down by her sides, sniffling and shuffling. I looked across at Jimmy. He was staring at Shireen. Everyone was clutching our numbered stones and trying desperately not to allow the wish of please not me slip into please let it be her up to her waist now 
the holler was exam room quiet. Not even the rustle of paper or the scratch of a pen nib to destroy the silence. All of us just watching the water creep up Shireen's body. It covered her chest, her shoulders. When it drowned her face, I think we all held our breath, only letting it out a minute or so later when the crown of her head broke the surface of the water. She struggled forwards, fawn and slipping her way to the far side of the pool, but she'd made it. I hated her. I looked down at my numbered pebble, and I hated her. Why couldn't it be you? You want to swap? Jimmy asked. I couldn't tell if he was serious, but I shook my head. Nobody swapped. You didn't swap, and when your turn came, you went down to the water's edge without being called. How did we all know this? I tried to imagine my mom and dad sitting here when they were 21. Had it been the same for them? It was one of those things nobody talked about, like they'd never commented when I had just turned up on the doorstep this morning. No warning, but when Mom opened the door, the first thing I read in her face was not surprise, but relief. And Dad, too, standing just behind her, as if they had been worried I might not come back. Next up was Janie Price. She stood on the edge of the pond, quiet and dignified, everything Shireen hadn't been. No way I'd forget Janie Price. I'd had the biggest crush on her for maybe six months, and when she started going out with Mark, I thought my heart was going to break. Young love, huh? All that moping around and my world has come to an end stuff. And then... You fast forward a couple of years and realize you're still alive. The sky hasn't fallen in and you haven't even thought about the one true love of your life for the best part of three years. Still, seeing her standing there on the edge of the pond, I felt a flicker of emotion. Lust? It was too brief to identify and tonight, it was not a good idea to trust emotions. They had a way of getting confused. Janie Price stepped into the pond. She walked slowly but steadily, the liquid swallowing up her body until there was just her head left, and then even that was gone. For a moment, we all stared at the calm surface of the water, wishing we weren't wishing. It seemed an age before the water broke, and Janie started to make her way out the other side. Someone started clapping, and the gloaming, it was impossible to tell who it was, and in a moment, we were all clapping, and shouting, and cheering, and Janie stepped out of the pond to an applause that rang around Murden's holler. I was on my feet, screaming with the others. Janie turned around, raised a hand to acknowledge the applause, and then walked over and sat down on the grass beside Shireen. Safe. A train clattered out from between the trees. It took the hard bend above me, raping the quiet air. Light from the windows flickered over the scene, catching us moving in stilted action like a 1920s zoetrope. Stanley froze on the edge of the water, waiting for some sign, but when none came, he started into the pond anyway. Lanky thing, well over six-two, with limp black hair that hung down over his shoulders like pondweed. I'd heard he'd gone off to Cambridge to study nuclear physics, or ancient Greek, or something like that. Someone else told me he was expected to be a senator before he was twenty-five, president-in-waiting, that sort of thing. I remembered Stanley having to do swimming lessons in faded blue Y-fronts because he'd forgotten to bring his trunks. Everyone's here then? Jimmy asked. I shook my head. There was a shape hidden amongst the trees. It was almost impossible to see in the gloom, but when the train had come around the bend and spilled down that light, 
I had noticed her. I don't think Harry made it. Jimmy looked around him, taking a quick audit of all the faces. I'd already checked, and anyway, I recognized the figure sitting off by herself. Harry's mom was a common sight around town, collecting for PETA or the WWF or whatever good cause she could find to rattle a tin for outside of Woolworth's. Bastard, Jimmy said. She's over there, I said, without pointing because Harry's mom didn't need me to draw attention to her. You couldn't do it, could you? Jimmy said. I mean, not to your own ma. And I was thinking about the relief I'd seen on the faces of my own parents when I'd turned up on their doorstep. You wouldn't, would you? Jimmy asked, and I realized he was expecting an answer. He towered over me, still standing halfway up the embankment and staring across at Harry's mom. I thought about it, I said quietly. I only bought my train ticket yesterday. Are you saying you didn't have second thoughts? There wasn't much to think about, not with Rose. I'd forgotten about Jimmy's sister. She must be, what, thirteen or fourteen now? But you came back. That's the thing, Jimmy said. I was silent. I didn't even understand it myself. I could have just stayed hunkered down in my flat. Nobody would have come looking for me. I could have pretended I'd got the date wrong, although I could feel it in every cell of my body like the tide being pulled by the moon. But it was more. It was this thing that had been hanging over my head forever, and it was not wanting to miss out, crazy as that seems. And it was the chance of seeing Francis again. John B. came out the far side, hands clasped together over his head like he just won a race. What was that, five or six? I hadn't been keeping count. I didn't even know what number Frances had. She sat over the other side, and a couple of times I looked across, and I wondered if I caught her looking at me, or if that was just wishful thinking. You in contact? Jimmy asked. I shook my head. I hadn't spoken to Frances in three years. Not since we'd all left school. I'd written her texts and emails, hundreds of them. I just never sent them. And the longer the silence lasted, the harder the message was to write. After so long, sorry isn't enough. And my problem had been that I knew sorry wasn't enough in the first place. Jimmy looked surprised. You two were so close. How could you just drift apart? We didn't drift, but nobody knew that. Not even Jimmy, who knew everything about me when I was 18 years old. Knew me better than my mom and dad. Knew when I'd had my first drink, my first drag on a cigarette. Jimmy was there when I tried hash and threw up into the bin outside the Church of Latter-day Saints. Jimmy, who knew where I'd hid the skin magazine my mother eventually found after I'd left home. Jimmy, who knew everything about me, except why Francis and I stopped seeing each other. He sat, waiting for an answer. There was a silence between us that blanketed the bird call coming from the woods and the splashing of Helen as she made her traverse across the pond. An awkward, uncomfortable silence. I'm sorry, I said quietly to him, half afraid someone would overhear. It's complicated. He nodded but said nothing. I stood up. Jimmy looked up. You okay? Of course I'm not, I snapped back at him. I'm going for a walk. Don't go far, he said. You wouldn't want to miss your turn. I smiled. God forbid. 
and Jimmy smiled back. Not forgotten, but forgiven. It didn't make things right between us, but it made it a little better. Like sticking a plaster over a cut that would one day heal to leave a scar. I did one circuit of the holler, like a spaceship trying to escape its orbit. Helen's palm slapped against the surface of the water, but she was on her way out now. Hair hung over her face. Water ran down her clothes. I stared at her. Was she any different? I couldn't tell. I passed Frances, the closest I'd been to her since she'd walked away from me in 2006. Her eyes switched from Helen to me, and then very deliberately back to Helen again. And that said it all, really. I sat back down beside Jimmy and waited. I was almost relieved when my turn came up. I dropped my pebble onto the pile at the edge of the water, heard the gently click-clack as it landed upon the others. I looked around the holler. Everyone was watching me now. I wanted to shout something clever and witty, but my mind wouldn't work. Unless you become a rock star, there aren't many moments like this in your life. When you're born, when you get married, when you die, when you're the center of attention. I took a baby step forwards, the toes of my shoe dipping into the pond. Took a second step. On the third, I felt the chill of the water press against my ankles. I wasn't sure what to expect. Some huge watery hand to come out and grab me by the ankles. I now understood exactly why Shireen was screaming when she'd step into the pond. And I realized that after her, all the rest of us simply bit down on that same terror. But it was still there. There was something in the water with me. I moved deeper into the pond, and the cold water reached up to my knees. It was pressing against me, at once pushing and pulling, making it hard to move forwards and impossible to escape. Jimmy was up on the embankment, watching. For a bright moment, I hated him. Hated him, his safety, and the number 24 pebble he'd kept tightly clasped within his fist. Hated them all. Shireen, Helen, Stanley, and Francis. Even Francis. Another step, and the water was almost up to my waist. Colder than I'd realized. My toes stubbed against something on the floor of the pond. A rock? I stumbled, held out my hands to stop myself from falling, but they slapped weakly against the water. With that one step, I was up to my shoulders. Cold black water pressed against my throat. It felt like I'd been swallowed by the earth. It brushed against the back of my thighs. It pressed against my skin, inspected me. I opened my mouth to scream, but instead I breathed in the thick, brackish water. Water slipped up my nose, filled my mouth, blocked my eyes. Water pressed against every part of me, invaded me. It, whatever it was, brushed past my stomach, long and thick and hard. I opened my eyes, but I couldn't see anything, just degrees of blackness within the water. Above my head, like a halo, the brighter surface of the pond rippled and distorted. It's me. It's me. It's chosen me. Panic, sheer panic, arms flailing, held down by the water, 
try to run, but it's impossible. Stagger forward off balance, and I fall. My knees plunge into the sludge at the bottom of the pond, fingers raking through mud and stones to find some purchase. That halo of light seems impossibly distant. There's a crack in the floor of the pond, a fissure that goes down, down, down into the belly of the earth, down to wherever this thing lives, and one of the tentacles stretches up into the pond and draws across my chest. I can feel thick muscle coiling beneath soft, leathery skin. I slap ineffectually at the thing, and all it does is raise sediment from the pond bed and fill the water with flecks of grit that I'm swallowing along with gallons of dirty water. But I stumble forward, cut my palms on a sharp rock, blood sluicing between my fingers. It glides across my face, over the back of my neck. Spots of red and gold explode across my eyes, My lungs press against my ribs, pushing them, cracking them. I slap against water. Fingers grasp nothing. Hands close on empty fist. It touches my face again. On my hands and knees, I'm crawling, and I know it's in vain, but it's the only thing I can do. Can't give up. Just keep pushing. Pushing, pushing against the pond, the weight of water pressing down on my spine, forcing me into the ground. So I don't realize when it's gone. When I crawl up the shore of the pond, my spine breaking the surface, spewing up gouts of thick, oily water. I hear nothing. My eyes are blind, clamped tightly closed against the water. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. It is taste, the taste of the air on my tongue, that tells me I'm no longer in the pond. I've survived. I open my eyes, and they sting with grit, but I can see. My arms quiver with the effort of trying to hold me up, and then they simply give up. And I'm lying half in and half out of the pond. I hear muffled voices my name distilled through fathoms of water. Hands, many hands, roll me onto my back. Jimmy stares down at me. Jimmy and Francis, kneeling over me, and both looking like I'm already dead. Both as pale as the moon. This is what it takes to be forgiven? If I'd known that, I'd have jumped straight into the pond way back in 2006 when Francis walked away from me. I tried to laugh, but it comes out like a death rattle. You okay? It's Jimmy who speaks. Francis asks with her eyes, just like she always did. I try to nod. My throat still hurts too much to speak but I just managed to bash my head against the ground, and it hurts, but I'm laughing again. Not because it's funny, but just because I'm alive. Francis smiles. Not forgotten, but forgiven. I hear splashing. It's still going on. I want to warn them. I try to sit up, but I just flail on the grass like a dying fish until Jimmy and Francis get the idea and haul me into a sitting position. No one's looking at me now. Everyone's back to staring at the pond. I open my mouth to shout a warning, but then I close it silently. They already know. We all know. Maybe not exactly what will happen, but we all know that one of us is going to be chosen. I can't see who's in the pond at the moment. I could work it out, take a mental register of the class from those sitting around the edge of the pond, but it's too much effort. I'll find out soon enough. There are a few bubbles rising from the middle of the pond. Waves lap gently against the shoreline. A moment later, John Kane is walking out of the pond. Walking. Note, not crawling. With the smug grin he's worn on that face since year six. The pile of stones by the edge of the pond grows larger. And even though I'm safe, that quiet, clack each time a new stone is added still fills me with terror Frances is leaning against me the warmth of her body filtering through my wet clothes she doesn't say anything and neither do I this could be any night back in 2006 this is what I've missed 
the comfort, the companionship, the ease of a relationship where you don't have to fill every second with words. I move my hand to take hers, and then I realize it's already filled, clasping hard on a numbered stone. I look across at her, but she's looking down on Murden's pond. Don't do it. I want to tell her, but she will. We all will. What's your number? I ask. My voice is strained, words filtered through gravel. She opens her hand to reveal the stone. Thirty-one. The pebble sits in the center of her soft hand. Just a stone. Just a number. But there's something ominous about it. Something familiar. And then I do a quick count of all of us around the pond. Thirty. Plus Roger currently doing his version of the sludge walk makes. Thirty-one. So Francis is going to be last. She knows. I can tell from looking at her. That she knows. Next up is Harry's mom. She comes down to the water line. There's an air of anticipation that hadn't existed for anyone else. You can see it in the way she walks. Every step trying not to hate the son who deserted her. She's an outsider. And as cruel as it sounds, we all know that it's right for her to be chosen. Really, how could we ever have thought it would be one of us? She stands at the edge of the pond and opens her hand. The quiet click-clack of the stone falling against its fellows. Janie makes the sign of the cross fast and angry, and Shireen starts crying again. We all wait in perfect silence. Even now, I can't understand why Harry's mom is going to walk into that pond why she doesn't just run away. But then I didn't run. None of us did. She steps into the pond and a collective sigh runs around the holler of expectation and sympathy and relief. Now it started. I expect to see that tentacle rise up out of the water to claim her, drag her down into the fissure. She moves into the water, surprisingly graceful, up to her ankles, her knees, her stomach, her chest. Her face, slashed by silver moonlight, is calm. The water rolls over her head. For a moment, her blonde hair fans across the surface of the pool, and then that too is gone. I hold my breath. We all do a moment's silence for the recently deceased. Janie's lips are moving quickly in prayer. A few bubbles of air rise up through the black water and break open on the surface. Once the offering is taken, will the rest of us still have to traverse the pond? I don't know. And there's no one around here to ask the rules. Maybe that is ultimately what it means about being an adult. Finding your own rules. And then the water breaks around the head of Harry's mom and she's walking out of the pond. No, it can't be. But now she's clambering up the shoreline. Streams of water falling from her shoulders, her arms. I want to scream at her, to push her back into the pond. It's a mistake. It has to be her. She looks around, but no one moves forward to congratulate her. 
I know all she sees is the hate from the people who think she should be dead. She trudges back to her spot beneath the trees and sits down to face the pond. After that, there's an inevitability to everything. People walk forward. I can't even try to recall their names and drop their numbered stones onto the growing pile before stepping into the pond. I reach across and take Francis's hand, squeeze tight, tighter. Never gonna let her go again. Jimmy walks down to the pond and takes his turn. He looks up at me, and with my free hand, I throw him a clumsy salute. He smiles, returns the gesture, and as he starts walking into the pond, he's looking up the hill at Francis and me. When he comes out the other side, he trudges up the slope to rejoin us. Silent. There are no celebrations now. Francis's hand grows colder, as if she's already dead. I move closer to her, wrap my arm around her shoulder. It's gonna be okay, I whisper to her as I try to warm her. She clings tightly to her numbered stone. Twenty-eight is Jacob, a fat kid when we left school, but he's been working out. He stomps through the pond and out the other side without breaking a step. Twenty-nine is Hazel. Maybe it's just a silver moonlight, or maybe she can feel me wishing for it to be her. My thought pouring down on her like poison. She walks through the pond, doesn't look back at us. Thirty is Mark. Wide shoulders, thick neck. His golden hair cut back to a fuzz since he signed up. He slams through the pond like this is just some obstacle on his army assault course. I want to go down there and hold him under the water until he's taken. But Francis is clinging to me too tightly. Fingernail is cutting into the back of my hands. When Mark climbs out of the pool, Francis begins to rise up. No. I grab hold of her arm, pulling her down beside me. Gently, she pulls free of my grip. You can't, I tell her, but she's already walking down the hill, and Jimmy is standing beside me, a restraining hand lightly on my arm. Let her go. She stops at the edge of the pond. The click-clack of her numbered stone falling onto the cairn sounds too loud, amplified by the bowl of the holler. Frances looks up at me, only for a moment, and then she's looking down into the blackest, darkest part of the pond. Everyone moves a little closer. Even without counting, it's impossible not to believe that Francis is the last. Neil and Jimmy and John B., Hazel and Joanne and Helen. Everyone waiting for it to happen as Francis steps to the edge of the pond, the water lapping obscenely at the front of her shoe. Her blue patterned dress clings to the outline of her body as it becomes wet as gradually she sinks further and further into the water. We move closer, slipping down the hillside to the shoreline, closing in a wide circle, becoming tighter and tighter until we are almost touching shoulders, and in the center of this, Frances, the water already covering her chin and creeping up her cheeks. Francis. Panic flashes through her eyes, the only way she can still communicate. Black water covers her face and runs through her hair. I see her for a moment longer, and then the water swarms above her head, and she is lost to me. Lost. And before I know myself, 
I'm running forwards, focused on the spot where Francis disappeared. Water splashing around me because I'm running deeper and deeper into the pond. I can hear people screaming at me, but those voices are so easy to ignore because they belong in another world. In this world, there is just me and Francis and the gap between us. I hold out my hands, clutching chunks of water in my fists. I'm screaming, and I can taste the thick water slip down my throat like crude oil, deeper and deeper into the pond. I take a deep breath, force my head under the surface, open my eyes, but all I can see is the darkness. Black, blacker, blackest. No shapes, no light. Strands of pond weed wrap around my fingers. Where is Francis? My feet trip over a submerged landscape of broken bricks and rocks and a fissure that goes down, down, down. I stumble to my knees, slamming into the bed of the pond and release a huge plume of grit and dirt that rises around me and envelops me like a specter. As the debris begins to settle, I see her, floating, falling. The blue-white dress rides up around her thighs. I lurch forwards, almost collide with her body as I gather her into my arms. She is lighter than I remember, as if it had taken something from her. I break the surface of the pond, the air cold and hot upon my face. Harry's mom stands in front of me. I notice she is standing behind the cairn of stones. It should have been you, I tell her. She smiles, and I almost drop Francis's body and rush at her because she's laughing at me. She's laughing at all of us, and I wonder how long she's known, and if she's always known, and if this is what it's like in Merton's Holler every year. Let her go, Stephen. Her voice sounds soft, kindly, but there's a hard edge. It isn't a request. Behind me, the water shivers. It's coming. Let her go, she tells me. An urgency in her voice. I shake my head. No, not now. Never again. I stare down into Francis's face. And she looks so peaceful. She could just be asleep. I want to believe she's just asleep. No, I tell her. I feel like I could hold on to Francis forever. Jimmy is standing behind Harry's mom. He's trying not to look at me, but he's still standing behind her. You can't have her, I tell him. She's gone, Stephen, he says to me. No. I'm shaking my head, but I can see it's not just Harry's mom or Jimmy. It's all them. Moving closer... I hold on to Francis's body, and the waters of Murden's pond lap over my feet. I don't have to look behind me to know that something is happening. The surface of the pond is shifting. Take her back! Take her back now before it's too late! Helen screams. She picks up one of the stones from the pile and throws it at me. Before it strikes me on the cheek, I wonder, was it her own stone? The one she's been holding all evening? Would you? Another stone. I can't see who threw it, but it hits me in the stomach. Another, and another, and I stumble backwards, away from the missiles. A crazy part of my mind is thinking, there's only thirty-one, as I stagger backwards into the pond, the water is up against my knees. I see Jimmy as he throws his stone, and he looks terrible. White as a ghost, and he's crying, but he was always a good shot. And I know the stone that hits me in the chest has his number 24 painted on it. The stone falls into the pond, 
and then there's another stone, and another, and it's hard to keep my balance. It brushes my stomach, but this time it doesn't glide past. I feel the tentacle coil around me, pulling me backwards, off balance, down and down and down, and I try to call out, but the water fills my mouth. I'm still holding tightly to Francis. I can hear them all screaming. Their voices water-filtered, strange and surreal, but I know that it's all of them. Jimmy and Stanley and Helen and Shireen. Shireen screams loudest of all. That was Richard Barber Murden's Hollow, as read to us by Rock Manor. About the narrator, Rock Manor is the owner of Manor House, a former brothel from the 19th century. It's been reported that long ago several murders of prostitutes took place at this residence, and the spirits now haunt Manor House, all of which Rock Manor would approve. Some even claim Rock Manor is a phantom of some sort himself, never aging over the course of multiple decades. One fact is for certain, he is a procurer of the macabre in various forms, film, television, books, comics, and oddities. He has a collection of toys he likes to share with others, and he often invites his guests to stay the night if they dare. The website will be www.youtube.com slash rockmanorhouse. Link will be in the show notes. And that will be our show for the week, Children of the Night. We will meet again next week for more Tales to Terrify. Terrify.